13 of us. I know. So I going on a cool. Disney cruise. It's, I think it's awesome. The kids don't know it. The parents know it, but they're... Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Thank you. Good to see you. I'd like to welcome you back for this. This is the final session on Habits of Happiness. So we'll be looking at tonight at managing stress and worry in our life. So we're taking a look at Philippians chapter 4 in just a minute. So this is apertos. This is a uh, time of the year which stress <laughs> seems to come to new levels to us, right? Okay, let's begin our, with some prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Father God, we thank you and give you praise as we enter into this time of hearing and receiving your word. We pray, Lord, that tonight uh, the word of God will go forth and not return void, but accomplish your purposes in our heart. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, your sons and daughters, as we gather in the name of your son this night, so that we may have wisdom to know how, Lord, to be able to live in that place of joy, a place of happiness, despite the stresses that come into our life, despite the opportunities to worry that also challenge us. Open up your word and its wisdom to us tonight. We thank you, Lord, that, that you endeavor to care for us as your sons and daughters in the really particular, normal things that come into our life so that we may be a people who walk in confidence and walk in trusting of your promises to us. We pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Before we begin, um, we'll be looking at Philippians 4, verses 6 through 13. So we're following the outline that you have before you. Anyone needs anything? Let me know. We have a couple extra sheets up here. We turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 in your Bibles. Just to give you, a little, as you're turning, give you a little bit of context for this. Um, Paul um, is writing his letter from jail, and he's writing it to the Philippian Christians. They were a community he founded. And one particular aspect of the community that we're going to look at tonight, that's the context for our is that um, this was a community that supported him many, many ways. He developed uh, really an affectionate relationship with them. He had a real heart for them. And they also were a community that supported them financially, too. Uh, they weren't a wealthy community in any stretch of the imagination. But what Paul writes about here tonight, in some respects, comes out of their caring for him in his ministry, providing financial support, as well as the emotional support that he needed when he was particularly in jail. So um, so tonight, the context for this, when Paul talks about managing stress and worry, you know, comes from a place where he's in jail, he's in need of financial help, and he has a community that is not only praying for him, but also provided for him as well. So let's take a look at Philippians 4, verses 6 through 13. Let's back up just a little bit to verse 4. We'll start there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, 
and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me and were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound, to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hung, hunger, hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Okay. That last part, Paul, was particularly verse 10 following, was speaking about his financial need and how that community found out about that need and provided for him. Okay. So if you look at the very top, uh, Philippians 4, uh, probably a theme verse for us is verse 7. On your, this is on your outline. If you do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Paul's secret was that he had a heart that learned to be at peace and to be in a spirit of happiness or joy because he learned to trust in the Lord. But yet here's a guy who's in jail, who's possibly waiting execution, who was in financial need, you know, uh, who was feeling sort of um, abandoned in many respects relationally. And yet here is, here is this guy saying, verse 4, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice, you know. So how can he rejoice? We're going to take a look at that tonight, how he can maintain a spirit of joy. There is some, someone went, went through this. There's some 7,000 promises in the scriptures regarding the Lord to his people. Promises that cover almost every aspect of our life. I often said if we just knew 50 of them, applied them for our life, we would really be a, a spiritually rich people. But promises are the Lord's uh, you might say, you might say a treasure chest that we kind of open up and say, here's the needs of my life, Lord, what do you say about those things? And every promise has a premise to it. If we do something, then the promise can become operative in our life. So sometimes that doing something is just simply meaning to trust him, means to give thanks, meaning to do something in regards to others. But um, we'll look at one of those promises towards the end tonight um, from Philippians 4, verses 19 and 20. Okay, let's turn, uh, look at your number one on your sheet. We begin to look at this. First thing is, uh, number one, is refuse to worry. Paul says, never worry about anything. Again, sounds easy to say, more difficult to do. Again, let's remember who's saying it, though. This guy's from prison. He's not St. Paul yet. He's just simply Paul of Tarsus, okay? So a lot of times we look at him and we say, this guy was really saintly. He knew how to deal with these things. But actually, he was just... He was in the, he's a saint in the making. Okay, so. Um, what he's referring to here, verse, uh, verse six, is have no anxiety about anything. The word anxiety means to be in two minds. It means to be divided. He's basically saying here, and he knows that worry is a, a, a challenge to us. He knows it's an issue, an issue for all of us. He's basically saying that when you worry about something, it's not going to make the problem <coughs> smaller. A lot of times it makes it bigger. It makes it greater. Often say that we are, all of us are very intuitive movie script writers. Okay? Because in our minds, when we're facing difficult situations, we can create all the kinds of scripts of how things are going to play out. 
driven by anxiety and fear and worry. You know, and if we if we literally had the time to put all that down on paper, we'd see a movie unfold. You know, so we're, we're we were kind of in a sense since the fall of Adam in the garden. You know, we'd be kind of like we've gone from a lot of faith and trust in the Lord to a lot of fear at times. Fear drives a lot of times our thought processes. And so tonight, really, we want to talk about how we can manage that. If you look on your outline, continuing, worry is, this is uh, from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, worry is unreasonable. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verse 25. He says, don't worry about your life, whatever you're to eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Now, Obviously, Jesus knows we have need of all these things, and we can add a lot of other things in there, too, like tuition for the kids when they're away at school, you know, and all those things. But, you know, it's like Jesus is saying is, like, you worrying about these things is not going to help you solve the issue. Okay, That's what he's trying to get at. He's not trying to say, don't just, you don't need these things. He's actually saying you do need these things, but worrying about them isn't going to help you get it. Okay. The second is worry is unnatural. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, worry is unnatural to us if we look at from the beginning the what is the way we were created. We're created to be in a relationship of trust with the Father, Trusting that he has our best interests in hearts and he knows our needs and will supply for them. Well, that's the way we were created. Now, of course, all of us are challenged by that. We struggle with that because we don't always trust the Father. We don't always believe he has our best interests in hearts. We, we don't always, you know, we live in that realm of doubt or belief or, or unbelief regarding him, you know. And that's the problem with our, our fallen nature, right? We We struggle with that part of us. But what Jesus is trying to say is you weren't created for that. You were created to live in a relationship of dependency and trust in the Father. And I think it's one of the the things the Holy Spirit wants to get us all back to is restoring that back into our life. I remember her teaching years ago that when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and moved away from the Father, basically they were moving away from the Father's image in their heart. In other words... Their relationship with God was like a father caring for them. And when they moved away from that, they were moving away in their hearts from a father whom they trusted in and a father who they can depend on, a father who they believe they had the best interests at heart. They moved away to a God who was estranged from them. It was their doing, not his. And what the Holy Spirit is trying to do ever ever since that time, particularly through Jesus' coming and dying and rising and all that, is that he wants to restore that image back into our hearts of a God who's a father who really cares for his children and that we can trust that. What else does Jesus say? Matthew 6, 28, 29. Why worry about clothes? Look at the field of lilies. They don't worry about theirs. Yet King Solomon, all his glory, was never clothed as beautiful as they. Jesus is really trying to point out to us our value to him. We're worth more than the birds of the air, but yet they're taken care of. We're worth more to the Father than the beauty of the lilies and the created world. And so in other words, when you look outside tomorrow and you see a beautiful day and the beautiful creation, just think you're worth more than all that. Okay, You're worth more than all that. So Jesus would say, since you're worth more than all that, 
worrying about your life situations is not going to help you. It's going to diminish you. So why not trust my father, basically, is what he's saying. Okay, continuing on. Worry is unhelpful. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? In other words, anxiousness is like a weight around a person. So, worry is unhelpful to us. It's not, it's not going to create the kind of wisdom or opportunities that we need, basically. It's going to help us with the challenges we face. Okay, next, um, worry is unnecessary. Matthew 6, verse 30, Jesus says, If God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you, O you of little faith? So, Jesus is like saying, like, um, again, the created world, as beautiful as it is, you're still more valuable than that. Okay. So, find your favorite plant or flower and say, I really, this is the be- most beautiful thing in the world, and say, you're more valuable than that. Our problem is we don't always believe that. We don't necessarily believe we're that valuable to the Father. You know, we just and some of us struggle more than others because of you know our own backgrounds and so on. But I think this is where God's Word comes in, where it's important to really reflect on God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to really write that upon our hearts and minds. First Peter 5, or 7, Peter says, Unload all your worries on God, since he's looking after you. Another translation says, Roll all your cares on him. <laughs> so if you can picture somebody bowling, you know, how they just let go of that ball, you know, just think of just taking your cares and just letting them go right into the hands of the Father. Again, the emphasis here from Jesus' teaching in First Peter 5 is the value that we are the, and again, we can put this, too, in the context of the cross and resurrection. I mean, the second person in the Trinity came and died for you. you know? Pope Benedict said it this way. He said, if you were the only person on the face of the earth, he would have came and died just for you. That's the worth and the value that he, you are to him. So if you, can, if you and I can just get that in our hearts and minds and really begin to believe that, you know, then we can see where it makes sense what Jesus is saying is that when you're faced with worries and anxieties in your life, look to a father who's going to care for you because of the value he's placed upon you in giving his only son for you. Do you know that 366 times someone studied this, actually, and came up with this? In the scriptures, it says, do not fear. Somebody said that's one for every day of the week, of uh, the year, rather, Every day of the year, including leap year. <laughs> Do not fear. Top stresses in life have been studied, and job is like the number one top stress. Money is another. Health is. Relationships are. Poor diet is, believe it or not. Um, social media overload also is a major stress. And then lack of sleep is also another major stress in our life. So all those things are places where challenges are faced with us with anxieties and stress and so on. And so when we look at this teaching tonight, we can begin to apply this to maybe areas that we're particularly vulnerable in in terms of facing anxieties or stresses. 
Number two on your outline, talk to God about things. Now we're going to get into the heart of why Paul was able to rejoice the way he did. Okay. Verse 6, he says, have no anxiety about anything. Remember, anxiety means to be in two minds. By the way, a word for, uh, in the Greek, the word for worry means to strangle or to choke. Okay. So if you're worried about something, you're strangling and choking over something in your life, you might say. Okay. So Paul says this, verse 6, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay, so we'll take a look at, spend a few minutes on this verse here, because it's really important. Paul says, never worry about anything, but instead in every situation, let God know what you need in your prayers and requests. In other words, Paul is saying God is interested in absolutely every area of your life, every area. I remember years ago, I was, um, I, was just, I was just sitting, I think it was at Panera's, and I was just eating lunch, and I was working on something, and I'll never forget, I saw this little boy, he must have been like three years old, and he, uh, he, he was talking to his father, you know, and at one point, he just picked up his arms like this, both hands were raised, raised like this, and he says, up, daddy, up, you know, and of course, his father just swooped him up, and I thought, boy, what a picture of trust in his father, this little boy, up, daddy, up. I think that's a beautiful way to think about prayer. You know, our, our coming to the father is like up, daddy, up. You know, I'm, here's my situations I'm facing. Here's all the things going on in my life. You can pray about every single area and our movement of our heart towards God in each of those areas that we're praying about is like up, daddy, up. In other words, you know, daddy, here I am. You take care of the situation. That little boy had complete confidence in his father just to pick him on up. And he did. You know, without a moment's doubt or hesitation. So I thought that's, that's what prayer is meant to bring about in us. You know, um, we, so pray about every situation. God is interested in every area of your life. If it's a concern to you, it's a concern to him. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, you do not have, you do not have because you do not ask. You know, sometimes we don't receive in our life, we don't see prayers answered because we haven't really been praying about that area. Now, a lot of times people will say, um, what happens, how do I know it's God's will in a situation, okay, when I'm praying about something? I heard, the, to me, the best answer I heard was Father Michael Scanlon, who was talking to us. He used to be the president of the University of Steubenville at a priest retreat. He said, look, just go to God. If, it's, if you're not sure if it's his will, just go to him and say, God, this is a great idea. It'd be great if you wanted it too. <laughs> you know? And then just invest yourself in prayer and just keep praying about that every single day. He says one or two things are going to happen. Either you're going to receive what you asked for or else he's going to change your mind and bring you in alignment with where he wants you to be. But it won't happen unless you invest yourself in prayer. So don't get hung up on, is it God's will or not? I mean, if particularly like things that are, I mean, if it's clear in the scriptures, obviously, or the church teaching, obviously it's clear what his will is. But there are a lot of things in our life that we're not sure whether it's God's will or not. Just say, hey, this is a great idea, Lord. You know, I'd be great if you wanted to. So I'm just going to pray and ask you for it and invest myself in prayer regarding it. And then if it's not something you want, change my mind. Bring me in alignment where I need to be. And if it is, great. I can, I'll look for the answer. You know? 
So a lot of times we get so hung up in that that we get discouraged in prayer you know, when really the Father's heart is to really be able to care for us in the midst of what we're asking. You know. Okay, so Romans 8.32, one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in the Scripture. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he, won't he who gave us Christ also give us everything else we need? Just, it's a, Paul's, that's a, a verse that really speaks of Paul's understanding of God's commitment to our life. He, he committed the very best he had. He gave Jesus. So you know he's committed to your life because he gave the very best he had. If you look at verse 6 um, on, in the scriptures, it says here, have no anxiety about anything, which means don't be in two minds. Don't be divided over the situations that you're facing in your life. But he says, but in everything by prayer, and supplication. Supplication means petition of the Lord or asking of Him. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Notice the word with thanksgiving. Okay. That's a, a very interesting word. I mean, a lot of times we say, I'll thank the Lord after I see it or get it, you know, then I'll thank Him, you know. But what Paul is saying is, as you're asking, give Him thanks. What's, so what's Paul up to with that? Well, thanksgiving is a long uh, Hebrew Jewish way of approaching God is that we give him thanks to remember what he's done for us and as we give thanks his presence is made more and more evident and clear to us now at this moment it's really the basis for how we understand Eucharist as Catholics to give thanks is not is to remember what he did it's also to make present and now you know so when you pray about things and you ask him for things you know Say, thank you, Lord. Why? Because I remember the things you have done for us that revealed your love and commitment and to us. And, but in thanking you, I'm also remembering how you're working now in these situations that I'm facing. What that does is it builds you up in confidence and faith and trust in him. Let's face it, if somebody you know comes to you and you say, hey, um, you say to them, could you do this for me? And they say, sure, I'll take care of it for you. And you say, what do you say? Thank you for taking care of that. You haven't seen it yet, have you? <laughs> but you know your friend. You trust them, right? You know they're going to take care of it because you know who they are. So same thing with the Lord. Lord, I ask these things of you. Thank you, Lord. She'll take care of it. Again, and if it's not what I'm praying for exactly, I have every uh, trust that you'll bring my, bring my prayer and this whole situation in alignment with what you want. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to work in this situation. I thank you that you have committed yourself to me in this situation, or to my family, or to whoever you're praying for, by committing your son to us, by his death and resurrection. So I know you're committed. I mean, you're in, totally. So, okay. So I would encourage you for with your prayer then, when you're praying about situations, is to pray remembering the value of who you are, the commitment the Lord has made to you through his son, Jesus. And then to ask him and to talk to him about every situation you're finding in your life that you need to talk to him about. You know? and, uh, and talk to him just as you would talk to a good friend. And place things in his hands. And, you know, again, and remember, don't get hung up on so much is it his will, particularly in areas where you're, it's, it's not clear 
just simply, I know, Lord, you will, I'm going to invest myself in prayer and keep asking for this thing and thanking you for it. And if it's not what, exactly what you want, you will change me so they can bring me in alignment with what you want. The key emphasis is on him changing you and changing me. He, he really has the ability and the wisdom to do just that. Number three, give thanks in all things. Okay, we just talked a little bit about that. Paul says, again, verse 6, when you ask God for what you need, also thank him for all he's done. One of the healthiest emotions known to human beings is gratitude. Yeah. Don't we all get a little bit perturbed with a person who's ungrateful? (laughs) How dare they, you know? Well, thankfulness and gratitude are one of the healthiest emotions that we can have as human beings. And they also reflect uh, an understanding of the relationship the Lord has to us, his willingness to be committed to us. St. John Mervianni says, God commands you to pray, but he forbids you to worry. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says this, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Maybe not every situation that comes into your life is God's will, but he says that in every situation, give thanks. Why? Because in every situation, God's at work on your behalf. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he fits everything into a pattern for the good to those that love him are called according to his plan. So God has the ability and the wisdom and the power and the love for us to fit everything into a pattern for our good, no matter what the situation is. So we give thanks to him that he's at work in the situation. You know, some situations aren't God's dealing at all, and we wouldn't want to give thanks to him that that thing happened. But we say, Lord, I thank you that you're at work in the situation. I thank you that your power and your wisdom your ability and your love is going to be at work and do things here no matter you know how tragic or how devastating this, this thing was or is. So. God has a plan for your marriage. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for your business. He has a plan for your career. He has a plan for your ministries. You know, God has a plan for everything. Remember again, this is quoting Father Michael Scanlon. He says, you know, you're of such importance to God that he has a plan for your life, and you're of such importance to the devil that he has a plan to defeat you. Okay. You may be the only person around who doesn't think you're that important. You know. <laughs> so he said, I thought this was pretty, in his, he's from uh, Brooklyn, I believe, so he was just very blunt with us. Everywhere. He, said, he just came right out and said, you know, he said, you should be able to figure out what, God, what Satan's plan is for your life and defeat it. Simple as that. So his point was that there is a plan God has, is a plan the enemy has. So when we invest ourselves in prayer, and then we're to figure out what God's plan is by asking, what's your plan here, Lord, for my marriage? What's your plan for, for raising my children, for my children at this stage, of this season of their life? What's your plan, Lord, for my business? What's your plan for my career? What's your plan? You know? So the Lord has a plan for every season of our life. And through prayer, we're able to access that and find out what that is. Number four, we start getting to verse eight now. Think about good things. And we'll talk about what this exactly means in a minute. Um, 
Paul says this, verse 8, fill your minds with those things that are true and good and upright. Think about things that are pure, beautiful, and respected. If anything is excellent or if anything is worthy of honor, think about these things. Well, you know, one of the, one of the great stresses in our life is what we allow to come into us. Okay, you know, the old saying with the computer is garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. Well, same thing with our minds, you know. What we, what we expose ourselves to is either going to help us deal with stress or avoid stressful situations or is going to be a source of it for our life. So what Paul is saying, saying here is uh, manage and bring into captivity your thoughts, what you're exposing yourself to, you know, what, you're, what you're opening your mind and heart up to each day. Um, even if it's in situations that you don't have any control over, how do you guard your thoughts and your mind uh, and your heart in those kind of circumstances? You know, but beginning to take manage our thoughts is a key way that we begin to deal with the stresses in our life, the anxieties in our life. So Paul gives that counsel, but think about those things that are going to basically build you up. He's not saying avoid the situations that are going to be challenge your difficult or are going to cause stressful situations. He's saying just manage your thoughts. So, so obviously if, if you have a, um, an argument with a peer at work and you become, then, okay, so you have a mis- that can be natural, it's under, but to then allow the thoughts to go move into resentments and bitterness and continuous anger is going to add stress levels to your life and it's going to open up the room for anxiety and worry in your life. So at that point, we're called to practice bringing our thoughts into captivity. You know, Saint Teresa says this. She said this in regard to being tempted by evil spirits. She says that every time evil spirits fail to terrify us or dissuade us from doing good, she says they lose strength and the soul masters them more easily. If the Lord is powerful and they are His slaves, what harm can they do to those who are servants of so great a King and Lord? Notice what she's saying here is that. Is she's putting the onus on us that we are to watch our thoughts and take authority over them. And that's going to weaken any temptations against us. Corey Tamboon, who was a uh, Christian who lived in Holland during World War II, she actually was a um, young adult there. Her father was a clockmaker. Um, they hid uh, Jewish people who were fleeing from Nazi Germany. Um, they did, were very successful a number of years, and finally they got caught. And uh, she, she had this saying one time. She says, if you look at the world, she says, you'll be stressed out, she says. If you look within, you'll be depressed. <laughs> if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Basically, she's saying, keep your eyes focused upon Jesus. You know? And that means focus upon his words, focus upon his teaching, focus upon him and his love for us, particularly through the cross and the resurrection. Number five, Paul says, be content. This is verses 11 and 12 here. Be content. I learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, when I have more than I need or when I don't have enough. Contentment is not laziness, it's not apathy, it's not complacency, it's enjoying what I have now. Sometimes um, we don't appreciate what we have now. We're always looking to say, what more can I get? Or when will I get this? 
And when this happens, I'll really be happy, you know. Yeah. But yet, Paul is saying here that joy doesn't have to be connected to the circumstances that you're facing in your life or find yourself in right now. Proverbs 14.30 says, Peace of mind makes the body healthy, but envy is like a cancer. We know that envy is one of the deadly, one of the seven deadly sins. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, It's better to have only a little with a peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. So the question is, how then can we be content? Paul says in verse 13, I have the strength to face every, anything and everything by the power that Christ gives me. Again, it's cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ, which means daily prayer, investing ourselves in prayer and his word. It starts there. It's not the only things that add to that, but it certainly starts there. Um, and when we build our relationship with Christ, then it's easier for us to Rest in him, trust in him, to believe his word to us. Job 22 says, only obey God and be at peace with him. This is the way to happiness. Okay. All right. So let's look at, finish up with, this is not on your outline here, but look at verses 19 and 20 in your, in the Bible. I want to give you an example of a promise of the Lord. Now, again, to give you a little bit of backdrop to this, uh, Paul is thanking the Christians at Philippi for their support of him financially. He was in need, and they took care of him financially. <coughs> Verse 18, we'll start there. I have received full payment and more. I am filled having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. The gifts were financial gifts. A fragrant offering, a sacrificial a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, he's recognizing the sacrifice they made and putting money out for him. And he's saying, hey, that's, that's like a pleasing sacrifice to God. And then here's the promise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. So the promise of scripture is that he's like saying, God will supply for every need that I have, that you guys have out of the glory and the riches of his son, Jesus. So in other words, the Father wants to provide for us in every situation we face out of the riches of his son. So whatever it needs, you can say, whatever, I supply every need of yours. So you can underline every need, whatever that looks like for you today. You know? And Jesus talked about that, right? In the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. He said, pray that way. Give us today our daily bread. So he wants us to pray for our daily bread every day, with the understanding that my Father will supply for our every need that we have. Okay, let's take about uh, 15, 20 minutes, if we would, and talk in your groups again. Um, there's five different points here for uh, dealing with anxiety or stress or worry in our life. So which one spoke to you? Okay. <coughs> yes. For his ministry. Um, he still had to operate his ministry. Yeah, had to eat. Yeah, had to eat. Had to pay for his ministry team. 